0: the symbolism that was kind of communicated through it it's the ability to have a language so even before we had language that was verbal it was visual so when we think about art in our environments right it's something it's like a way of personalizing our space
1: welcome back to the Workboard podcast where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions to Space as a Service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode nine of season nine, sponsored by Delta Q. This season, we've been talking about ESG, and to continue a focus on the S, I want to introduce you to Sneha Shaw, and her art-as-a-service company, Curati. I'm a big fan. You may be thinking, what does art have to do with an ESG strategy? Well, buckle up. We're gonna go on a journey through history and how art has connected people to places and culture for centuries. Sneha shares how art can have an impact on community, both within and around our buildings. Art has never been more important to workplace than it is today, and Sneha shares how curated art can help companies and real estate provide inspiring and inclusive environments that amplify brand values. There's that word again, brand. We talk about the power of color and why white walls suck, my new favorite hashtag. Sneha shares some practical tips and, of course, how her company can support as always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now You'll notice there's no background noise in this episode. It's because Sneha and I connect virtually post-Mipham, but it's just so well-suited for the theme of this season, I had to include it. You may have seen our headline sponsor Delta Q just raise 8 million euros to fund their international expansion. Delta Q is the leader in reducing energy consumption and CO2 emissions in the commercial real estate sector. Later in the show, we hear from Delta Q's UK director why this is important for our industry. Without further ado, Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Parker. And for this episode, I'm joined by Sneha Shah, founder of Curatee, a socially conscious art advisory firm on a mission to make the well-being power of art accessible to every individual. Sneha is an art advisor, historian, curator, and entrepreneur with a deep passion for connecting people with the art they love. She's often found advocating parity for artists and the benefits of art, which she believes can be life-changing. She's a self-proclaimed idealist that genuinely believes visual arts can save lives and change the world, and she loves sharing her passion. I love that. Sneha has led workshops and talks at London Business School, University College London, and the Rotary Club International. She received a Bachelor's in Fine Arts from the School of Art Institute of Chicago with an Award for Excellence in Leadership, a Diploma in Art Crime Recovery and Cultural Heritage Protection from the Association for Crimes Against Art, and a Master's of Art in History of Art with Distinction from University College London. In 2019, she launched Curity and is transforming public spaces, hospitality venues, and offices through impactful art programs where businesses can rent, buy, and commission bespoke Curated collections Sneha has most recently been recognized in the prestigious Forbes thirty under thirty list as a change maker for her work with Curity. Welcome to the Workbook podcast, Sneha.
0: Thank you, Caleb. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. very excited for the conversation that we're about to have to unfold.
1: Me too, me too. We've had some of these conversations offline at Exchange in London. It's been great to see you there at some of our events, and I'm really looking forward to diving in for our audience. To kick this off, you know, you're an art historian, so can we talk about the history of art in our environment and why it's important?
0: Definitely, Caleb. So I think first, it's kind of important to understand that art is as, you know, old as humans in a way, right? So before, it's like this universal language, if you think about it. The oldest cave painting, right, that we've discovered is about, I think, 65,000 years old, and it's kind of discovered in Spain. And the importance of that is not that Neanderthals could paint. However, it's the symbolism that was kind of communicated through it. It's the ability to have a language. So even before we had language that was verbal, it was visual. So when we think about art in our environments, right, it's something, it's like a way of personalizing our space. It's a way of really, I guess, connecting with each other through a uniform language. And that's kind of the way I've always perceived art. Now, if you think about some of the older offices, right, let's take the Uffizi back in Italy. That's now a beautiful museum. It was initially kind of created by the Medicis as like their office. Um, they commissioned Giorgio Vasari, who's kind of known to be the first Western art historian, architect, and artist, you know, to kind of build this space and along these kind of ideals of beauty. They even commissioned a lot of the artists that we know of today as kind of Renaissance masters to kind of have their work within that space. And a lot of this has to do with the notions of beauty and kind of human nature and our, I guess, obsession with kind of being a part of nature because it's what birthed us in a way. Art kind of connects those dots. It's kind of, the way I look at it, it's one of the oldest human organizational frameworks that we've kind of created to kind of, I guess, Be in touch with ourselves, but also with each other, and this is getting a bit philosophical. But you know, I would say that's kind of like when you look at the built environment, it's been really important. Now, over the years, I would say it's kind of been translated into these ideas of power, where obviously, because only wealthy patrons could actually afford to commission and kind of create these beautiful works, and you can even look at it from like palaces, right? If you look at Indian palaces as being like the earliest kind of workspaces, in a way, in the courts, right, where people congregated. A lot of the old commissions kind of happened there as a way of kind of reflecting the times and the people that were kind of part of that story, but also what was important to them. Whether it's religion, whether it's, you know, if you look at Edo period, Japanese, screens, it's kind of actually making note of the markets and the things happening. And they were gilded to kind of show power. So it kind of goes to like material studies as well. But what I'm trying to get at is that each of those were choices that we made when it came to commissioning art and kind of reflecting who we are as people within society. And that kind of is like today, when you kind of look at how it's kind of carried through as a string, we kind of reached a point in corporate space, especially within finance, where you had older banks like J.P. Morgan start building art collections, both to appreciate and patron the arts, but also kind of as a way to show power, But I feel like that's kind of changing now within the workspace and our entire move towards, I guess, connecting with art from a place of understanding who we are as people, as individuals, and how we can all come together in a space.
1: I feel like that's on trend, moving from positions of power to being more understanding. But before we come to where we are now with that, I really appreciate the art history lesson here, because when I think of what you've just described, I immediately go to the Renaissance and think of what I've seen in Italy and amazing murals and frescas even further back from the Renaissance. And I got to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Anthony Slumbers, who loves this kind of art. But when you go into these buildings, you're just like, wow, it just gives you this feeling of, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I think this is the same feeling that office landlords, and hospitality venues want people to feel when they walk in the door too.
0: Oh, I completely agree with you. I think it comes back to these notions of beauty and aesthetics, right? Art has this power over us because it captivates us visually in a way, especially certain works. And beauty is obviously in the eye of the beholder and based on your own personal experiences, kind of as we've noticed. But There is a growing trend, you know, in creating spaces that are more encompassing. The beauty of murals and spaces like the Uffizi is that it's a combination of architecture and art to create an impact on you. You know, when you walk in like marble, because you know the value, Or you know, if you look at even like St. Paul's Cathedral, right? When you walk into such spaces, there's a reason being why entering it, you know, with stained glass windows and light pouring through. It's the combination of light, colour materials that transports you and makes you realize that you're away from your day-to-day. And I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly what hospitality and workspaces are trying to convey. Sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's more of an attempt, right? And I think we're gonna dive more into that through our conversation as well.
1: Let's go ahead and talk about that now. You know, what's happening now in the corporate real estate front? I know you've had some interesting conversations. I've had lots of conversations and you know we're leaning into bringing art up in manchester we've partnered with a a local artist she's our resident artist jane beaumont who showcases her pieces throughout our space we are sort of her art gallery so to speak you know what are you seeing across corporate real estate and the conversations you're having and are other companies leaning into art to reflect their brand
0: so Caleb, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening, and I think we're going to focus a bit more on the co-working sector in this bit of the conversation. Only that's
1: because... that's okay because the future of real estate is co-working and spaces as a service. So let's do it.
0: Okay, yeah, you know it's kind of interesting. So I would say let's start with the most recent one. Right, "Dream the World anew" is kind of a mural that was created by Mark Dishner and commissioned by Four Partnerships and the team of London Bridge, kind of for Tower Bridge Court. And the work is kind of colourful um, to anyone that's kind of walking down the street. You know, it's visible. And Mark Dishner, who was Turner Prize nominee, has this impact on people, right? Like having these kind of public art projects that we kind of see across even Shoreditch on buildings does kind of empower the general community as well, I feel, and kind of create these, I guess, niches where you can kind of get transported through these artworks. But not to say that every space needs to have, you know, a mural. It's about, I guess, creating unique boards of engagement, which I think this project did really well. I mean, what we also see a lot across buildings, of course, like you mentioned, is you know, commissioning individual artists in spaces. You know, we've seen people having ground floor rotating exhibitions. There's been digital art interventions more recently. I think we've seen a lot of that happen since people have kind of discovered the beauty of ASMR. Especially in London and like ground floor lobbies of spaces where you know you walk in and you get, I guess, overpowered by these beautiful graphics and screens that are changing. And I mean, Heinz has also kind of taken advantage of that in, I believe, their DC building in collaboration with the local mayor there. So I would say what we're noticing are just experiments. And I think that's kind of exciting where you see these kind of bursts of ideas across different organizations. I would say if you look at even Fora and what they're doing within their co working spaces, I guess their approach to art is slightly different where it's kind of sometimes you won't even notice the art because it's kind of like being at home where the art is part of the environment and kind of merged in with it. Like you'll find a piece of art between books. And that's kind of like the aesthetic that they're going for in a way as well. So I think what we're going to find that's going to be a challenge is how will each of these spaces kind of adapt to creating a more unique voice for the art that they have, right? When it goes from just being random experiments to actually a connected thread that's part of their larger brand and, you know, part of their larger ethos and actually connects back to the kind of workspace they want to be.
1: So I want to I want like zoom in here real quick because to me, this is important. You're talking about how art reflects the brand. And I think, I believe that brand reflects values or it should. So when we talk about a brand, we're really talking about ideas. And if a real estate company holds certain values and then they display those values through the selection of art that they use, going back to what you were saying earlier with murals, for instance... And then I like to tie this, you know, the theme of the season is ESG in real estate. And I like to think about art helping deliver on the S of the ESG and the social impact. So if you think about going into certain cities and you see the big murals, sometimes those murals, as you say, transport you to a certain place. And that place can be some sort of vibe, some sort of positive value that's being portrayed through the mural. And, And that's just like, the community around the building now when you come inside the building and you're talking about the displays in the lobby and beyond i think you could continue that so i just think that's fascinating in how you can tie art to values and brand to really make an impact
0: i would say that's the kind of power of art right it's because art can technically be anything it's about how do you pick the right artwork for the right space to create the right impact, right? And that's, I would say, what we specialize in at Curatee. It's about understanding who's using the space, what are they looking for, who are their people, you know, especially in a time when, you know, ESG, of course, is on the agenda, but so is inclusion and belonging. You know, how can we actually create spaces that respond to the people that are actually working there? And, you know, being neurodiverse myself, I'm quite I guess, sensitive to entering spaces where, I guess, the use of color has been considered, but towards a very specific audience, you know, where you have like bright colors everywhere because you want to feel energized. However, you know, being neurodiverse, that can be very distracting. So it's one of those moments where how can we actually look intentionally at who's using that space and kind of curating a collection around that and kind of understanding different perspectives.
1: And can you give me an example of just from a practical perspective of how you would curate a space to make sure that it's accommodating for everyone?
0: So Caleb, that's the secret to it. I don't think there's anything that can be done to create a space for everyone. However, in a space, you can create pods for everyone, right? So it's kind of being more considerate about like kind of creating, you know, certain meeting rooms that are better for, let's say, people that need space to focus on work. You know, you can look at colors of like more meditative artworks, right, with linear lines, more grounded, connected nature, more textures of wood in them. Those kind of works would really work well in that space, more mellow colors versus, you know, if you want to kind of create a space for social discussion, you'd probably look at kind of some lighter pink speeches to kind of create a space that is more inducive for that. And even the artworks you pick, there could be more wilder, abstract ones, more emotive works that kind of push you to have that. even You could even look at portraits as well in a space like that, where you're really looking at, okay, how can we bring people together?
1: So if I'm either in the mood or if my mindset is, I want to go be inspired, I'm going to go into meeting room energy. And if I'm more looking for something that's allows me to focus or I'm neurodivergent or you know I'm going to go into the calm meeting room I'm just obviously making up names here but you're saying that you, when you curate a space you want to think about having different areas that are available for different people
0: yeah i think that's one strategy if your space allows it that would be brilliant wouldn't it you know for me i always wonder you know i work with this amazing artist who's from Saudi arabia and He looks at the history of gardens and I'm I'm kind of working on a project. where I'm hoping for this to kind of come to life, but kind of giving you the spark notes version. We're looking at the history of gardens and kind of creating a space within this beautiful regenerative building where we create a room where you can literally just go and kind of meditate, but also kind of reflect on the history that came before you. Sometimes we can get so stuck in our day-to-day lives and problems that we forget that there there was a history before us and there'll be a future after us that these problems are transient and, you know, life will have ups and downs. So kind of having this kind of garden that looks at history by celebrating it, by kind of creating, using plants that were once there before there were buildings, you know, we're kind of creating this natural habitat in which we would have once lived and creating this moment of reflection so people can kind of go into this garden for to actually have a thought.
1: Sounds great for mental health and well-being.
0: Definitely. And art is such a huge part of that.
1: Since we're talking ESG again, let's pop over to Adam Gadiali, Delta Q's UK director. Adam, the Work Bold audience is made up of office real estate professionals spanning 50 countries. Tell us a little bit about your international expansion plans for Delta Q and why that's important for office buildings.
2: Reducing energy consumption is a major challenge for real estate organizations, especially since the sector is responsible for nearly 30% of the European Union's carbon emissions. Delta Q is a purpose-driven organization, and we partner with the largest real estate companies in the world to fight climate change and to help our customers towards net zero carbon with our triple strategy. This is what we like to call Map, Plan, Act.
1: Thank you, Adam. More on Delta Q's triple strategy later in the show.
0: They even say that, you know, being surrounded by art sometimes creates the same kind of effect as kind of being in nature. Because at the end of the day, it's human touch. Now, obviously, the type of art matters. Don't get me wrong. It's not any art in a world where digital art is so rampant. Some people might connect to it. Some people might not. So it's really important to understand who this audience is. Like the way I've created projects for, let's say, a tech-focused company where the entire office is just full of engineers. It's really different from, let's say, a design-centric office where a lot of their work is around emotions and feelings. When we're discussing, you know, this idea, like what I'm trying to get at is basically creating each space needs to be different. Not every space can have the same kind of pods, right? Because the idea is to create spaces of difference so that when you go in, you actually get transported and it doesn't become a blind spot. So my question to you are, you know, talking to so many different business leaders within real estate, what I've noticed is that, companies are still cr- trying to create the same experience in their offices globally. And at a time when, you know, we're also trying to create places of belonging and inclusion, are both really achievable? Can you have a place that is the same globally, but also be inclusive and, you kind know, of create these ways of belonging for people of such diverse audiences?
1: Um, it's a deep question. I think, and this is where I go back to the brand again. And to me, If the brand stands for something, then it's going to attract people who are aligned with those values. And it's going to be delivering an experience for those people. And to me, that's where it becomes inclusive because people are self-selecting there. So I think in real estate, historically, real estate has been all things for all people. And a company would sign a lease for a big white box and then turn it into a branded box that everybody had to fit into. And that indicated, going back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast, it indicated the power of that company, the power of their culture and brand. And I think we're moving from that to an understanding, empathy, and sympathy for people. Sympathy might be the wrong word to use there, but to be more inclusive and to allow people to choose the environments that they want while still amplifying that company's culture and brand so it's a long-winded answer and i think the challenge here is as a real estate landlord or investor you have to deliver a concrete building or a glass building and different companies and different people come in i believe that we in real estate have to decide what our values are and who we want to do business with which means we're not we're going to be exclusive but we're going to curate, pardon the pun, or pun intended even. So that's what we're focused on. Bold is curating spaces that are for innovators and entrepreneurs and people with an entrepreneurial mindset. And we know what inspires them. And we bring in lots of colors and patterns. But while we partnered with our local resident artist in Manchester, she's not going to be with us at our other locations. So each location will be curated separately, but still deliver on the brand value. So to me, the values are the consistent piece, but the display of those values can vary. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that because you're the expert here.
0: So I would say on that note, right, it's an interesting one because I would say what you're doing that I would say having art and having activation, I think the energy with which you kind of approach this is exciting and having art in these spaces is great. And especially kind of giving artists that kind of collaborative opportunity. Now, there's certain things I'd be mindful of here, right? Something at Curated that we say is kind of being advocates for fair pay for artists is the exchange that, first of all, that you have with these artists. I don't know, kind of like the value proposition chain there. Is exposure is not a valid form of payment. You know, there's different ways in which people kind of collaborate with art and artists. So it's something to kind of be mindful of. A lot of times, artists get easily taken advantage of within real estate because they're not as great with business as they are with creativity so it's one of those things where okay part of the kpi for this kind of art intervention would be okay what is the impact the artist having on the people that work there obviously but also has the impact kind of rippling across within the creative community the artist's own career and beyond are they you know, gaining anything commercially from it for the art that you can kind of have in their space and them working there as well. So that would be one thing that I really want to touch upon. Like we have a non-negotiable policy for actually kind of creating a financial investment towards the art whenever people hire us. Because it is really important that creatives need to be paid and as to artists within our ecosystem, which is often overlooked. So I just want to kind of put that out there. Now, beyond that, I would say, okay, you know, it's amazing that you have artwork in the space, right? What is being done to activate it? How do you actually know that these innovators and entrepreneurs that are in that space are actually responding to it? How are you measuring that? What is the kind of different programming you have around that? So that is something that we take very seriously within our projects as well. So the art kind of goes beyond, you know, the first step is kind of thinking about okay, what is the right art for the space and what is the right art intervention? Sometimes the art program might not actually be a collection. We might actually do an event and it might be a series of short events to kind of create the energy we're looking for, creating within that space.
1: These are excellent points and I'm glad you bring them up. I think real estate in general is known to spend lots of money on art. So there's often a commercial arrangement with the artist and, you know, I can't speak for all real estate companies, of course, but real estate companies invest a lot of money in art. I love what you say about activating that and having events around it. I love that. I'm a big fan of events and programming content within a space because I think that's the software that people need to be inspired, to be energized. And if you can make those connections between the values and the art through an event, oh, wow, I think that's going to be so impactful. But I want to come back to your program because one of the things that I found interesting about Curity is you have sort of an art as a service Program. And I was hoping you could talk about that a little bit.
0: Of course. So, you know, something fascinating about humans is that we get bored quite easily. We have a natural blind spot. So, after six months, we will stop noticing things in our environment. That happens at home, that happens literally anywhere, right? Anywhere that we're regularly present, including, of course, the workspace. So, sometimes collections get kind of stale over the years if they haven't been challenged the most. So, Uh, What we have kind of introduced is this idea of art as a service, which is an option where we kind of curate really thought-provoking art displays, a bit like temporary museum exhibitions, but within workspaces. Because the entire agenda is, you know, a lot of times people in the office don't actually get to go out and you know, go to galleries and museums, sometimes they find that experience to be quite intimidating. So we essentially, through Art as a Service, kind of bring that experience to them. We work with some really exciting curators. We kind of curate in-house as well. And we align with a company and kind of their mission and goals to put together a collection that narrates a story that is powerful, reflecting the community they work within, local artists, but kind of changing. You know, it starts with six months all the way to 12 months. And to you know, we work with them to think about okay, how does this fit into their larger goals and the rotation of employees and whoever is kind of in that space? Just to make sure there isn't regular disruption either, because that kind of side of well-being and consistency is important too. But yeah, so essentially it's kind of like an art rental program where we kind of curate really thought-provoking, I guess, exhibitions with our clients across their spaces to really kind of create these stories that are empowering.
1: That's cool. And so like. When just in practical terms, how often can that, does that art get swapped out for other art and how does that get curated?
0: Great question. So basically the swapping happens on terms that we can agree with the client. So the minimum term that we recommend is six months, but sometimes clients might choose longer terms, like 12 months, 24 months based on their needs.
1: What you've described just now and actually throughout this entire episode is one of the reasons I'm a big fan of you and a big fan of Curatee and your model You know, you are going beyond just, you know, tick box exercises of putting art in a building. You're actually curating the art specifically for the people that are using a space and you're making it affordable for companies and you're enabling companies to be able to rotate it out as, you know, their culture evolves or, you know, for landlords as new people come in, new companies come in. I love it. Art as a service. It's the new thing. You know, it's funny. I had a hashtag I was using on social media a while back saying hashtag white walls suck. (laughs) But um, that wasn't quite inclusive, but it was on brand for what we do. I don't know that I can still use that hashtag, but I definitely love the hashtag art as a service.
0: Caleb, just to kind of jump in, that's kind of funny That's your hashtag Because all hashtags. Since the day we were founded, was hashtag no naked walls and hashtag we champion artists. So the no naked walls, actually, whenever we nail a wall with art, we say naked walls nailed, and we actually calculate how many walls we nail like, kind of annually as kind of one of our KPIs.
1: I love it. I love it. Awesome. Sneha, thank you so much for sharing with us today and wishing you much success and looking forward to having offline conversations.
0: Thanks, Caleb.
1: Be sure to check out Sneha, Curity and get in touch so you don't have any naked walls in your venues and offices. Thank you for tuning in today. And until next time, take care of yourself. Before we close this episode out, a final update from Adam Gadiali on Delta Q's triple strategy.
2: As I mentioned earlier, everything we do needs to help the commercial real estate sector drastically reduce its carbon emissions. That's our purpose. We start with connecting building portfolios with our AI solution and commit ourselves to clear results, which include CO2 and energy reduction, operational efficiency, and comfort optimization. Firstly, in order to reduce the building's energy consumption, we deploy our technology across building portfolios. We do this by mapping the building through a digital diagnosis or creating a digital twin of the building. This also includes precise local weather forecast and occupancy data. Secondly, through planning, which is where we conduct a physical diagnosis of the building with our HVAC and BMS specialists to ensure that the availability of data is as closely aligned with reality. From there, we identify building and system anomalies, build a roadmap towards savings and advise on the carbon return of retrofit investments. Thirdly, by taking action. This is where we take both digital and physical data and automate repetitive savings through our AI steering of the HVAC systems. That's our triple strategy. There you go. What an important purpose. Be sure to visit
1: deltaq.io to learn more and listen to episode eight this season where I got to sit down with Delta Q's CEO, Khadija Nadia at MIPM for a deeper dive into their purpose of helping the real estate sector on the road to zero. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Drumroll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.